This morning, thinking about this all week long, this text and working on it, I was so excited that this morning I was able to make the final announcement or maybe the first announcement of a long time coming, receiving again email after email, comment after comment, concerned person after concerned person with this question. When will you finally be discussing analogical knowledge? Some of you recognize that's an introduction to an awkward topic and I'm trying to make light. Anyway, I guess my joke is now cut short with the response of the crowd. I got to find in my manuscript where I drop down past the joke now. It is over. So, what is it that I mean because I am a little serious in the joke, trying to make light of what it is I do think, rather what is necessary for each of us to consider at least for a few moments that we might then actually discern the text in a clearer light. There are many questions. One thing we can write off immediately is that the way that our Father does work in discipline, the text affirms He disciplines. We affirm as believers the truth of the text. Therefore, we recognize in humility God does discipline, chastise. But what we can eliminate immediately as we move towards what I will labor to um, put before you analogically is that it is not... You did this, and I'm going to respond with that. Because, as I see it, that really upset me. Versus this over here. That didn't really get me that riled up. But now I saw you go ahead and do that. Therefore, now I am going to act. And so we live in this awkward relationship whereby a father somewhat um, scorned by our behaviors, then brings retribution. And he's kind of, we're, we're wondering, which ones will really agitate God? Which ones will really bring about his, his, his fiery lightning upon us that we might avoid those ones if we could just live on the fringes and kind of not incur that immediate response of judgment? How does that work? Well, we all know these ones do. I, we, we can eliminate that. But how is it that we do affirm and receive, recognize that God does indeed discipline a justified people. I think the way in which we can understand it, I think the author is, is pointing us in this direction to understand it analogically. What in the world does that mean? Analogical knowledge is this, and it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. Don't think we're just now getting ready to go to the bottom. We're not. We're not. This is, believe it or not, you're just going to have to believe me for a couple of minutes. This is helpful. This is helpful. Analogical knowledge is this. It is a knowledge of a being who is unknowable in himself. Okay, right. You're with me so far. Analogical knowledge is this. It is a knowledge of a being who is unknowable in himself. Right? So, proposition A. Unknowable in himself. 
yet able to make something of himself known in the beings he has created. Okay. Everyone seems lost. Let me, let me, let me, one, more, one last time and then we go forward. This is critical. This is our comment on this text because this is what the text is guiding us toward. How are we to receive it? How are we to understand that God does discipline a justified child? He does rebuke. He does chastise a justified child. How are we receiving the language of discipline, chastisement, How are we recognizing that light of justification by faith alone? That I'm hidden in Christ. That's the child I am. How then can I be disciplined? How do I recognize this? How can I receive this text? By way, step one, of considering analogical knowledge. Is a knowledge of a being who is unknowable in himself. This is how we recognize God is indeed beyond our ways of finding out. Yet, he is able to make something of himself known in the beings he has created. That is, God, who is beyond our understanding in all of his majesty. You believe that, right? He makes something of himself knowable to a certain degree through our experiences of flesh and blood relationships. That's what we mean by analogy. We cannot plummet the depths of God's work. It is We confess it's beyond finding out. It's beyond grasping. We cannot put him in a box. We cannot. It's an impossible task. And you don't get long into Scripture until you find that out. So is he, do we render him completely unknowable? No, he is knowable. Through the text. And likewise, has disclosed a certain degree of his being through the beings he has created. God makes something of himself knowable to a certain degree through our experiences of flesh and blood relationships. Can I give a for instance that might clarify all of the thinking to this point? What am I saying? Because again, I'm laying the groundwork because once we just get into the text, it will manifest itself, I trust, quite clearly. If we just take a moment here and do a little bit of spade work, then the text will open up in a way in which we can readily receive it. For instance, there is something knowable about the love of God through the love of a friend. That's analogically, the, the, the analogy. Over here in this loving bond I share with this friend, 
in, in the experience I have at this, at this flesh and blood level with a being A and a being B, and we're being beings together. Love. There's a way in which this relationship speaks to a certain degree of clarity in this vehicle to God's love way over here in this majestic thought that he loves me. He makes something of himself discernibly knowable in the beings he has created and the way in which they relate. It corresponds to who he himself is and so also how he relates to us. Another for instance, there is something knowable. Maybe this will resonate a bit more because it's directly right out of the text of Ephesians. There is something knowable of the love of Christ through the love of a spouse. There's something knowable. Is that the way that Christ loves the church? Well, you look at your husband and you think, I hope not. I hope not. Or my, my redemption is in jeopardy. Okay, great. So you recognize. But it's analogical. It does speak to it. If the husband is by grace through faith, trusting and resting and receiving what Christ has done on his behalf, and he is thereby by that grace through that vine producing those fruits. There is something knowable of the love of Christ for me as I watch my husband love me. And there's something for the husband to recognize as I recognize my wife caring for me, submitting, following, and rejoicing with me. There's something knowable here. Directly? No, analogically. In this analogy, we, we learn. We, we receive, we recognize in this vehicle what's absolutely true in this vehicle. That Christ does so love the church that he gave himself up for her. There's something knowable about that through the beings he's created and the way in which they relate. Another for instance, I won't go on and on, but another for instance, and this is kind of moving toward our text now. There is something knowable about the caring and guiding hand of God as Father through the guiding and caring hand of a father to his son. That's the piece at work in the text this morning. The analogical knowledge at work. The way in which we speak of God as our father. Is it completely unknown to us to consider God as father? That category theologically, is it completely so far removed from me? I have no concept that he is my father and I am his daughter. I am his son. Is that category so far removed from my experience as a being that I cannot grasp how he then would act as a father, love as a father, discipline as a father? No, it's not very far removed at all. Over here you have that vehicle that is analogically correspondent. You have an earthly father. You're an earthly son or an earthly daughter to an earthly mother, an 
earthly father. This, This relationship that I share with fellow beings is correspondent to how my heavenly father works. How he cares for me. I see something of it in my father's eyes as my father on earth cares for me. Is that exactly how God cares for me? Again, we hope not. I can say that as a father. That's a scary thought. Analogically, that I am before my children speaking something all the time of God's love for his people. I am somehow shaping my children's view of God as their father, as I act in time as their earthly father. That is an analogical relationship for them. That I can't be as a father all the time and then lead them this way unto this father over here that is like this. That there's a breakdown there where I come and say, God is your father. They're like, I already have one. I don't want another. Because that's an analogy in time that makes sense to them. God is treating you as a son, Owen. He's like, that's terrifying. Because that analogy is at work. This analogical knowledge, this sense of someone a being who is otherwise unknowable in and of himself, in his grandeur, in his majesty, in his transcendence, has made something of himself certainly knowable in the beings he has created. So this text comes to us to begin to speak. There is something we can know about our Father and how he disciplines and what discipline means in our lives as we consider the analogy that is at work in our everyday lives. Fathers and children. Perhaps a careful note is here that I have kind of made mention of with my own children. It's something that I want to be careful to acknowledge. That the corresponding truth is there as well. That some of us have had different earthly father experiences. Well, I think all of us have had differing degrees of earthly father experiences. So to say that, again, A father on earth perfectly expresses in analogical knowledge what God is as your father can be one frightening due to certain experiences. Or two, it can be encouraging due to certain experiences. It can be helpful and easily grasped in certain experiences. And other times it can be so distorted, it is hard to receive that God is my father. And what that means. So, let me just say on the one side, a father who is derelict in his duties and has been brutal, he too is analogical for us. That it might not drive us to what God is in that behavior, but it does drive us to what God will provide. He is a father to the fatherless. So this analogy works, even if it's a burden to bear. It drives us 
to what God will provide as a father. So either way, this analogy serves us to see the beauty of God as our father. He will be our father. He will provide what we're missing from our earthly fathers. Or he has so worked by his grace to provide through our earthly fathers a beautiful picture that has encouraged, strengthened, and been gracious. Analogical knowledge. There's something certainly knowable of what he is, of who he is through the beings he has created in the relationships they experience in time. This is the language that is undermining the text that we're about to work through. This consideration of how it is that God is acting in discipline as our Father. So, if this is the case, how will we see it at work? And the text is now the burden that is before us. And that is, I would like to move now to the text with this consideration in our minds. That there is something certainly knowable. And that is what the author, the Apostle of the Hebrews, is trying to make known to us as we consider earthly relationships as they correspond to a picture, perhaps some better than others, but a picture of God at work as Father. Now, you'll notice immediately, I'll begin with verse 5. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 10, and then I want to show you some of the connections at work in the text that help us to grasp how he is teaching us about God as our Father and how he does work. Verse 5, you'll notice immediately. And have you forgotten the exhortation? And we, dress, we, used, we uh, handled this last week, but I use it as now going forward. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So again, already you're drawing in this relationship of father and son. Now he uses a proverb here, citing from the Proverbs. Look at the language that again unites you to this picture of an earthly father, even to an earthly son, as he speaks of how God does work. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Why? God is treating you as sons. This is a father to a son. He's treating you as sons. And he addresses this issue. For, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Again, analogical knowledge. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You're not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For if they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. The point I am making through the text that we have seen there is it begins in verse 5 with this family comment, this family concept to draw our understanding of how God is at work through the family as we picture how our father in time. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers. This relationship, an earthly father to an earthly son, gives us information, clarity, speaks to how God our father does work. And the apostle here is insistent at the way in which we can best grasp God's disciplining hand. 
And his corrective measures that he does take in our lives. He is insistent that the best way that we can grasp this is by the analogous relationship we have with our earthly fathers. We begin there to understand how God disciplines justified children. The assumption at work in the text, again, I briefly noted this introduction, but the assumption of the text as it's working forward is that we have had fair fathers. That, that's the assumption. So I don't want the text to derail or me to derail you in explaining it if that is not the case. The moving and working assumption of the text is that we have had fair fathers, right? The, the comment we'll look at later, but the comment immediately comes out and we respected them. So, so the, the, the assumption that is at work between the father and the son that we're learning about how God works in our life is that we had fair fathers. If that isn't the case, again, I would suggest that it can still speak that it drives us to what God alone and will so surely provide. He is a father to the fatherless. So we don't absolutely have to have had this analogy relationship, get it just right in order to grasp who God is as our father. But it does serve. It does help. It does guide. He is insistent that the way in which we can best grasp God's disciplining hand and his corrective measures is by the analogous relationship we have with our earthly father. So the question is at this point, what can we begin to learn about God's discipline as we consider the discipline that we have experienced from the hand of our fathers and some of us have provided as earthly fathers? What is it in this place of either we have received and experienced discipline from fathers Or, and, we have also provided discipline to our children as earthly fathers. And what is it in this vehicle of discipline that we can learn about God's discipline? What is it? What can we learn about God's discipline? Three things. The answer is threefold for us this morning. There are more, certainly, but what I have jotted down here are three. The answer is threefold of what we can discern about God's work of discipline in our lives as we consider that which we have experienced from our fathers and have provided also as earthly fathers. When we take that, we look to God, we see and discern in these beings something of what God has done and is doing in our lives as our father when he disciplines. The answer is threefold. Number one, What can we learn? Number one, discipline is concern for the well-being of another. It is that straightforward. It is that simple. That's why I say in, in, in the consideration at the beginning of our time together, on we've, all, we've done all the heavy lifting we need to do. We recognize that through this flesh and blood analogy relationship that we share, where there is something discernible about what God does in our lives over here. It is mysterious, but there are ways in which we can access what He is doing as we see it in our earthly fathers. Discipline is, for God, it is perfectly driven by concern for the well-being of another. Notice how the text describes this immediately right again in verse 5. 
we'll kind of consider five and stop. And you ha- have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He's already drawing you into the, difficult of, the difficulty of discipline, speaking to you as sons. And he draws again, my son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. What do we learn from this about how discipline is concern? That is, without discipline, there must be no concern for the well-being of another. What we recognize of the term, if you were to consider the term at work here in this text of discipline, the term and the tone, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. When we take the term and the tone of the text and we put it together, we recognize that what the proverb is describing here to you about your life lived before the face of God as your father. His discipline is not that of a heartless father who relishes the chance to smack his son around. Who's constantly chasing us with vain threats or threats that are about to be experienced. I dare you to do that. That is not the term, neither the tone of the text being cited here from Proverbs. It is rather when we pair term and tone of text together in the analogy. He is describing the concern of a loving father for the well-being of his son. That is the concern of the text. That is what is at work in discipline. A concern of a loving father for the well-being of his son. This is affirmed if we drop down from the text, so we just consider five with the language of son. As he continues into the term and tone of the text with discipline, now still speaking to a son, it is confirmed. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. He cares. How do I know he cares in this? God is treating you as sons. Don't regard that lightly. He is treating you in this difficult providence. In this mysterious providence. What can be affirmed in such hardship? Well, you must have clicked on that page on the internet. That's what's confirmed. Well, you must not have recycled. That's affirmed. She got these boils breaking out. Clearly, you better change your ways. Is that really what's at work here? Is that what's being affirmed here? As we must have really did it this time? So now I just need to remember what that one particular behavior is that incurs that kind of a judgment. And I can eliminate that one. I'm going to be all right. Is that how God is relating to us? Well, that's how my earthly father did. That's not how your heavenly father does. Because he is a perfect father. He is holistically at work in His grace in your life. Yes, mysteriously, yet purposefully. 
out of a pure concern for you as his daughter, for you as his son, for your well-being. You belong to him. That is the affirmation at work. I belong to him. According to the analogy of our earthly fathers, a fatherly concern. Now, this is kind of purely off of uh, what he's describing here. Don't take it lightly that God is at work in this difficult manner. Don't take it lightly. What do you mean, don't take it lightly? It is affirming you. Don't take that lightly. Receive it as a blessed affirmation. You're his. Don't shrug it off. Don't despise it. Don't disregard it. Don't take it as of no consequence. Receive it as an affirmation of your sonship. What does that involve? Again, if I could say, certainly there are uh, sins within our lives. Again, it's mysterious, and I, I don't want to speak otherwise, that it is mysterious, this great, perfect, complex, turbulent, joyous, wonderful work of God in our lives. There, it is mysterious. There are elements that we can't just say, this is that. It, it, it doesn't just boil down to simple commands and, and obedience or disobedience. It, it's not that simple. Maybe we'd like it to be, but it isn't. It isn't a simple, your life with God does not boil down to a simple cause and effect. You did A, he does B. It's not the way he's working as our father. But certainly what does it on the broader scale involve that he would work in discipline measures. It is two things, uh, briefly, I just want to note to you. If we stay with the analogy of a loving father who is deeply concerned about the well-being of his son, it involves two simple pieces that are yet further complex, but they are evident and they are easy to sense. And that is, a father sets boundaries for the well-being of a child. He does set boundaries. Now, again... Can I say which piece of the fence I dug out from underneath and I ran out and that was the one? It's more complex than that. In fact, it's more loving than that. It is with a greater purpose and design than that. It isn't just for retribution, it is for well-being. Nonetheless, we do receive we could just take a moment and look at the commands in Scripture, consider the law of God, and recognize in these wonderful commandments He has given us, there are boundaries to our sexual behavior. There are boundaries to the way in which we spend our time, where we go, the language we use. There are boundaries. It's not hard to see them in the text. There are boundaries. This comes for our well-being. Secondly, there are what then follows from boundaries, consequences for having broken them. So it is retribution. No, it is for the well-being of the child. That is, he will not abandon your soul. It works for your preservation. He will not let you run headlong without His guiding and gracious hand coming after you. Oh, so He is tic-tac. 
No, he is pursuing you. And he loves you more than you love yourself. You love yourself in trivial manners, in trivial ways. He loves you covenantally for your true good, what the text says. So consequences experienced in time. This is another reason why we cannot, as pastors, we cannot, as brothers and sisters in Christ, walk up and say to someone this in your life right here, right now, kind of being the counselors of Job, this is for that. It would be incredibly irresponsible and unwise. But we would step back and recognize in all of our lives in God's graciousness as a father, there are boundaries and there are consequences, not in retribution, but for well-being of the child. What can we learn from our experiences from and that which we have provided as earthly fathers about the discipline that we do receive as sons and daughters of God? Number two, discipline and love are inseparably joined. Discipline and love are inseparably joined. Look at uh, 12.7. Again, if you jump down uh, in chapter 12 to verse 7, as we begin, discipline and love are inseparably joined. How do we see that in the text? I'll begin right at the top, and then we'll just kind of come to the bottom of verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Don't take that lightly. Look at the, the, the question he prompts to us. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That is, discipline and love are inseparably joined. The assumption of the text in the comment is what loving father would not discipline his child if he loves him? Again, according to the analogy, we're talking about in time, father and son, as he speaks to analogical knowledge. You've had these experiences, right? He's driving you to this earthly experience to grasp something knowable of certainty of your divine relationship, that which you experience through Christ with God the Father. And he is suggesting that any father on earth who loves his child actively, not just saying it, oh, I love my family, and there's hellions everywhere, but any father who loves his child actively expresses that love Actively, through boundary-setting and life-sustaining discipline. It's life-sustaining because he loves you. Love and discipline are inseparably joined. If you love, you will discipline or the child dies. So the prompted question from the apostle, what son is there who has not experienced this? 
For any father who loves his child expresses that love through boundary-setting, life-sustaining discipline. Consider the argument from the text. Verse 8. Its opposite is also true. Verse 8. If you are left without discipline, this is clarifying the son who is receiving it. If you are without discipline, in which all have participated, that is, all the sons who have been loved, then you are illegitimate children. And you're not sons. Again, the absence of discipline in our lives, as mysterious as it is, how it is that God so executes it, how it is that He has so prompted it in the race that He has set before us. He is not letting us bail off the race. He has sovereignly designed the race, and then from A to B, He will get you there. And an element of getting you from A to B is this active love expressed through discipline. Because we recognize the absence of discipline, according to verse 8, is the absence of love. All the children that are loved experienced it. Chapter 11. Those who don't are not loved. They're not children. The text says they're bastards. They don't belong. Maybe just a few of us. No, all of us. All of God's children have participated in His active, expressive love through discipline and corrective, life-sustaining measures. It is not retribution. It is well-being. The text would then say in Proverbs 13, 24, as he's using the, again, analogous relationship of a father and a son, if we were to cite just briefly Proverbs 13, 24, to strengthen verse 8 here in the text, that a father who does not discipline literally hates his child. That is, whoever, Proverbs 13, 24, probably of which your parents, perhaps someone, perhaps wisely or ill-advisedly, Cited to you at some point, Proverbs thirteen twenty four. it is true in the theology of the text that whoever spares the rod hates his son. Now, I'm not here to speak on merits or demerits of spanking. Let's don't get derailed. The point of the text is a sparing of discipline. Big picture, whoever does not discipline hates his son. And the converse is true just like it says in Hebrews 12. He who loves his son is diligent to discipline him. This is in the analogical relationship. So it is true of something to be discerned in that of how God does actively love us through discipline. The final and third piece of what it is we learn kind of from our earthly experience that is a bit more mysterious the way that God does discipline us as his children is number three, discipline is filled with promise. It is filled, and I mean filled. So if we're talking about filled, we're talking about an image in your mind right now ought to be like a cup uh, sitting on a counter, a glass of water, and someone is filling it, and that cup is just overflowing. Now it's onto the counter in your mind. 
It's running off the counter and onto the floor, and it's just still filling. The glass is still filling. This is the image of what we mean by filled, and I mean full, as in filled, full of promise. What's going into the glass and coming out and going onto the counter in your mind, you see it right now, don't you? I see it. We're all looking at the same image right now. What color is your countertop? Mine's like a weird gray. But we're all seeing it. And what is going in and what is coming up to the top, going over the brim, onto that gray countertop for me, and onto the floor that is brown, is promise. That is promise. Discipline is full with promise. How do we see that in the text? Verse 9 and 10. He argues, besides this, analogically, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them in this analogical way, in this, in this brief relationship we have shared with earthly fathers. Now to the greater, the true father, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Look at the promise. It, I mean, the glass is going in. It's over. And live. Life is provided. Life. We will live by discipline. We will live. Not like now. Forever. He's keeping us as his people. Forever. How? By discipline. It is Full of promise. Verse 9. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us in this way, in this analogy. They were, they disciplined for a short time. And hey, they did it as it seemed best to them. Great. But God disciplines us for our good. Purely for our good. Depending on how our fathers were measuring what, what they were upset about, what they wanted to do, and how they were receiving, what was actually taking place, hey, we respect them. And they did what seemed best. But God does it perfectly. Because He is a perfect Father. And it is truly not kind of sort of going to be about our good, but it is purely for our good. We will live because of Him, without which we will die. final portion of verse 10 is that we may share his holiness. He's a perfect father. The point of being filled with promises you see there in the text. Our temporal fathers led us down a pathway of wisdom in living. Hey, that's the comment. We respected them. Things turned out. I mean, hey, I didn't like it when they, but you know, they were kind of right. We had this analogical relationship, this, this analogical experience that does speak to something of certainty that we do with 100% certainty confess that God is the perfect father. And that it goes well beyond our respecting him when he disciplines. It goes all the way that we might live, not in this life only, 
but we might live forever sharing in His holiness. It is truly for our good. Discipline is filled, full of promise. Final portion of the text is the comment again in verse 5. This is my last comment for us this morning, and that is verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly. Don't cast it off. Don't be uninformed. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Verse 11. Why not? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, to all of the children. He will not abandon you. He will graciously, perfectly, lovingly, wisely discipline us. Not for retribution, but for our well-being. What do we get? Share in His holiness and the fruits of righteousness. It's chock full of promise. Let's pray. Father, pray that you will enable us to grasp, as I even pray now, as Christ did teach us, Father, hallowed be thy name. 